0: Hello everybody and welcome to this week's official EvertonFC.com podcast where I'm delighted to say I am joined by our former striker Gary Lineker. Gary, a very warm welcome to this official Everton podcast. Thanks so much for your time. Why are we always on last? Well you're not, so um, <laughs> neither is any other club. Uh, but it's become a bit of a thing, um, which is I find it a little bit strange because normally the team that's on last, it's, it's nine times out of ten and nil-nil and there's no real argument. So um, it's basically, I mean, most people could, if, if you took a neutral aspect, most people would pick the running order each week in pretty much the same we do. Obviously, if you're watching a sporting event, uh, generally the cameras will focus on those at the, at the front of the race. Um, for most of the time so that's obviously plays a part if it's an amazing game that would obviously push it way up the running order Um, and then it also means um, we then focus on the games with the high stakes so if there's a game near the bottom of the table and then that's obviously more significant than a mid-table class so also you know Everton in recent seasons have by and large been a bit middle of the table and therefore Takes towards the latter stage of the season, certainly, um, are not that high. So that plays a little part as well. But our editor of Match of the Day is an Everton fan. Um, so there you go. So you can you know, blame him. <laughs> but um, as, especially to what I nearly said, towards the end of the season, obviously not reached the end of the season yet. It's in these strange times. But, um, you know, Everton have been involved in quite, quite a few good games. And, you know, Ancelotti seems to be making good progress. Um, great coach, great experience. And hopefully you'll be um, not last too often. <laughs> While well, we're on the subject of television, I see that you enjoyed watching uh, Howard's Way recently. Yes, I did. Um, it was—I thought it was great. And um, you know, it's just obviously it was the season just before I got there, uh, and I therefore I knew, you know, by and large all the players, so I got to know them really well. So I thought it was really good, really good watch. I enjoyed it, and you know, obviously that was an unbelievable season. Uh, for the club and um, I just wish we'd matched the following season when we obviously went really close to, to, to winning the double and won neither. We'll speak about that season as we go on through the conversation but let's go back to the beginning Gary. When did you first become aware of Everton's interest? Was it in the summer after we'd, after we'd won the title? Um, yes. Um, it was can't quite recall exactly how it started but there were, I had a bit of interest. Uh, Manchester United Liverpool and Everton um, were in for me and obviously they were dealing through my agents at that point because I'd let my contract run out at Leicester although in those days of course um, if at the end of your contract you weren't on a free um, but I ended up going to a tribunal where they you know the two clubs can't agree a price it was determined that Lancaster Gate was very odd Um, so I, I was um Aware of the interest of three clubs, and it basically came down to whether I would sign for Manchester United, um, Liverpool, or Everton. Now Manchester United at that stage, I Big Ron was in charge. Um, you know, they weren't obviously the club um, with the success they had um, latterly under Alex Ferguson. Um, with Liverpool and Everton, um, it was it was a tough choice. But I, I figured they they already had Ian Rush and. Um, I thought I was quite similar in, and might find it difficult to, to break in there. Um, Howard told me that um, Andy Gray was leaving. Um, obviously, I knew that would be a tough act to follow because he was, he was loved at, um, and quite rightly so, at Goodison. Um, so I thought that would be tough. But um, in the end, meeting Howard um, it made my mind up, really. And, and I certainly don't regret that decision. It was a um, you know, magnificent year. But it was only a year, um, but it was great. So many people who signed for Everton during that period have all said, as soon as I met Howard Kendall, I wanted to sign for Everton. Why what, what, was that? What was it about Howard Kendall? Um, I think he's obviously his, his playing career, um, his, his personality, um, very engaging, very passionate, a um, lot of fun. And he knew how to speak to players and get the best out of them and make you want to play for him. And um, it, was, it was that overall package that um, interested me most. Would it have been a bit easier for you if, if you'd have kept Andy Gray, if you didn't have to replace or to be seen to be replacing someone as popular as Andy Gray? Um, well, I scored 40 goals, so I don't think it was that difficult. <laughs> now, that's because of the quality of the team I played with. Um, it was difficult at the start. Um, I didn't, you know, I, I knew he was obviously popular. I didn't realize how revered he was amongst um, Everton fans. Understandably, after what they'd done, particularly the previous season, um, so it was. It, I remember my my first game, and, and they uh, first home game, and they read out the um, team sheet as they always do before kickoff, and it, uh, it went number seven, Trevor Steven, and it cheered everybody, and then it went number eight, Gary there There's a few cheers, but also a few boos. And I thought, I thought, what's that? Um but a, lot of, a lot of the fans weren't happy that it it sold only gray. Now it wasn't obviously my fault. I didn't learn you know I didn't have any idea of those circumstances. But I thought, whoa, and then I had a not a very good opening game and then I, I went to another couple of matches with that goal. I was getting pelters in the um in the echo um, from letters and all sorts, and I thought, Oh dear, this is not good. And then I, and then I scored away at um, Tottenham 1-0 diving header Trevor Stephen Cross and and that kind of set me a bit and then within another two games I got a three and then a two and after kind of six games I had six goals I stopped scoring the league and then gradually the fans warmed to me a little bit and perhaps got over Andy And, and then once I got around Christmas I think we had a couple of games Blackburn and Manchester United at home and we won and I scored in both and then it was different from there on in it was like um, it was a great relationship. But you know, I like thought good relationships you have to work at it at the start. What What did you think when you saw the fixture list and we had Leicester City away first game? Did you think someone's out? With that? Um, I, I it wasn't what I wanted to be perfectly honest. I mean, Leicester was my team. I'd supported them since I was a little kid. I used to go with my granddad and my dad every week when I was seven years old. Um, I signed at sixteen. I, I was there for eight years. Um. I didn't want to leave while I had a contract with Leicester. Um, my last swap contract kind of let it run out. So you know, but it was it was tough to leave, and all my family were there. And then to go back, um, my first game was bad enough, but to then get you know, beaten three-one, and the guy that replaced me, at that time, Mark Bright, scored two two goals, one of them a wonder goal. It was all the crowd singing, what a waste of money. And I was thinking, oh, And what what made it even worse um, was that half time we were losing. And and we went into the tunnel and I went into the Leicester dressing room instead of the Everton. And I (laughs) uh, I had years and years of habit and and you could see all the players were sitting around. They're going, what are you doing? But I was like, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Shocker. (laughs) <laughs> so, was, was there some playful banter off the, the Everton dressing room in those early days? Because it, it could be quite ruthless. There was no, play, no playful banter after that game. It was deathly hush. I, I think they were all thinking, what have we signed here? Um, so, but by and large, it was unbelievably banter. You know, it was, it was actually quite a fairly brutal dressing room in the sense of... Um, uh, Mickey taking etc. Um, uh, none more so than Neville Southall, to, to be perfectly honest. He could really dish it out. Um, and then obviously characters like Peter Reed and Paul Bracewell and well Kevin Ratcliffe etc. So um, it was it was a it was a fun dressing room. Um, but you needed to you needed to be able to stand up for yourself. Yourself and Sharpie on so many occasions that season, Gary were, were unplayable. And to score, to return 64 goals between the two of you in one season is amazing when you think back. I mean, that's a lot of goals in a partnership. And um, Graham was great to play with and we complemented each other very well. He's a different kind of player to me. I could make runs off him. He was a great hold-up player, brilliant in the air, of course, and very intelligent footballer. So, um, yeah, we had a great relationship, really. And, um, and, and also, you know, when you've got, the width and the crosses that we were getting in with, you know, Trevor Steven on one side and Kevin Sheedy on the others, as on the other, um, there were always going to be chances for the pair of us, and um, it just, it just really worked. We'd go to the games not wondering if you'd score, knowing that you'd score. Did, did you, did you feel like yourself? As because as it went out, once you got the first goal at Tottenham, the floodgates opened, didn't they? Yeah. Um, I, well, I, I was always confident in my ability to take chances. Um, I, it's, you know, that's the great strength of my game, that and my pace. And so I always felt I would do that, um, particularly when you're playing in such a good team. So, you know, playing in that kind of side with my knack of goal scoring, I, yes, I felt confident in every game that I would score. I felt confident every minute of every game that I could score. Um, at the same time, that didn't always happen. We particularly enjoyed the goal against Liverpool at the cop end. Uh, just a shame that it was probably a little bit overshadowed by Kevin Ratcliffe's 40-yard P-roller. Yeah, I was. Um, yeah, that was quite extraordinary. That one wasn't it? I mean, Bruce didn't have his best day, but um, yeah, it was. Um, it was quite funny. I, kept, I mean, to see Rat's score was um, something in itself. Uh, yeah, I think probably the power that did it for him. The power of the shot. <laughs> I remember my goal. I just spun them and got behind, and it was a little one-on-one with um, with, with Bruce Grobbelaar. And um, I kind of liked the little dinky finish. Um, I mean, that I must say, that was a magical feeling. And you know, scoring the derby uh, at Anfield in a winning performance. There was a there was a feeling after that game, Gary, that, that, that we were going to win the league again. A really strong feeling, wasn't it? Well, we were well clear. Was, we didn't do a lot wrong, really. Um, the obvious. The Oxford United game away he killed us. We got it. So, What's three games to go? If we won all three, we'd have won it. Um, and then it, it just everything went wrong at Oxford. I mean, I he, my boots weren't packed in the skip. I had to borrow someone's boots that were too big for me. I know it sounds bizarre. I these days that would never happen. But I don't know why. Um, and it was I hit the post. I think, and I the keeper made some saves, and I missed a couple of really good opportunities. Um, and then. And that was it. And we lost um, on that slopey pitch and a game that we should easily have won. And that cost us the title. We won the last two games comfortably, um, banging in loads of holes. Um, but the damage was, was done. And I think Liverpool won something like the last 12 games to, to pick us, And, you know, it still hurts a little bit, that. And then having to play in the FA Cup final and, um, a week later and, and lose that as well, having put us ahead, um, it was a tough pill to swallow. And then, then, of course, we had to go on that open-top bus tour with, with both teams, which was the worst, worst few hours imaginable. Um, you know, Them all parading the cup and we sat there behind. It's just horrible. That must, have, that must have been dreadful. I spoke to a few of the guys about that. And, and obviously, Peter Reid was having absolutely none of it, went nowhere near it. I bet there was a few of you that felt like doing the same thing. Yeah, I should have done the same, really. We all should. But I think... I Can't understand who on earth thought that would be a good idea. <laughs> no. Talk of reading we had we had on not long ago, and um, he was reflecting really well on your time at Everton. He said, "Yeah, links." He said he he he'd spend all week in the bath and then go and score a hatchet for us on the Saturday. Is he a bit harsh? No, not at all. Um, <laughs> but the reason, no, the reason I did that was getting. I had um I had the whole season I had a pelvic issue, and it was like um, um really painful, and I. You know, I, I was on anti-inflammatories the whole time. It's tendinitis and that kind of thing, and um, it was actually I couldn't really train and play at the same time. I mean, I, I kind of play to it about the lack of training and stuff, but I didn't. But it was genuinely um, actually the fact that I was struggling at times, and um, it wasn't a bad enough injury to stop me playing, thankfully. Um, and I'd always play with injuries anyway, most of my career, but. Um, yeah, that's, that, that was actually the reason, but obviously they, the guys start taking them, um as you would expect them to do in the dressing room. In fact, <laughs> I was always in the bathroom. One of the big voices at the time was Neville Southall. He, he got injured towards the end of March, but then Bobby Mims came in and, and did a really good job. He, he kept, I checked it this morning, double checked it, six clean sheets in his first six games in, in the league. But was, it, was it Neville's presence around the place that we missed the wee bit, you think, rather than between the sticks at the time? Uh, maybe towards the latter stages. Um, but, you know, Bobby, Bobby did really well, as you said. He, he said. But when you've got an integral part of your team and your spine, for all sorts of different reasons, that's obviously going to make a difference. Um it's a, it's a bit unfair on, on Bobby to say that, but I think even he would recognise the, you know, the greatness of Neville Southall. Um, so, of course, it made a difference. And, you know, we lost games towards the end of the season. Not that Bobby made any particular mistakes in any way, shape or form, but um, it, it was just one or two contributory factors. We did. It's not like we just faded away. It's just Liverpool won all 12 and we just get the odd point right here and there. And then um, the Oxford... Um, Bad luck on the day uh, of the Oxford game, but um, but Neville was you know Neville's outstanding. I mean it he's you know one of the greatest goalkeepers that's ever played the game and 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 a big, big personality which makes a difference. Didn't like didn't like conceiving goals in training even, did he apparently? No, no, he didn't like conceiving goals anywhere. And if you did something like little dink or chip like, you didn't, probably... <laughs> <laughs> you get the verbals there. Can you can you remember what the mood was like in the dressing room after that Oxford game going? Like it is after every game that you that you lose and especially one that you know that might prove ultimately very costly. Um, it's, there's generally silence in games like that. We you know, no one's blaming anyone or anything like that. You know, everyone was committed. It was just it's just one of those days. One of those days where it wouldn't go in. As you said earlier, you you, you walk into a big dressing room full of characters, you know, Southall's Ratcliffe, Peter Reid. Were you at Everton long enough to become a voice in the dressing room yourself, Gary? Probably not. I was quite timid at that when my early, I was mid-twenties or not when I went there. Probably not. Um, You know, it takes you a while to settle in. It's like going to a new school. Um, So it takes a while, especially when there's big personalities. But, what I wanted to do was show what I was made of on the pitch first, that I justified the transfer fee and justified Everton's faith in me. That's what I wanted to do and justify uh, being a part of, of a great side with so many great players in it. Um, so that was that was the main thing. And um, and obviously, towards the end of the season, I be, you know, became a bigger presence and an important part of that team. Um, but a year's, you know, a year's not really long enough. Uh, and obviously, circumstances... Um, came along that um, meant I kind of had to go <laughs> you say that you wanted to justify yourself on the pitch which, which you more than did when you first arrived you, you've been the first division top scorer you're an England international did you still have to prove yourself to the Kevin Ratcliffe's and the Peter Reeds and the Neville Southall's oh, I think so yeah I think that's I think any player would say that um, you want to show what you're made of and when you come to a club especially a club that are, you know they were the champions and um, I've jumped in to, to replace, you know, an Everton legend. Um, so, of course, I wanted to justify myself, um, not just to the other players, but for me as well, because it was a big step for me. I'd never, you know, I'd lived living in my hometown all my life and leave, actually leaving and going to live somewhere else was, you know, quite something at, at, at that stage. So uh, there was a lot to prove, yeah. Is your settlement of the area you're going? Um, yeah, it took, we um, were in Southport for a while, um, I had a, a, a rented flat, and, uh, you know, right at the top of a kind of high rise thing. Um, and that was, yeah, it was fine. And, you know, the, I got on well with the players, um, people up there, obviously were really friendly and um, it, was, it was easy enough. And then we bought a little place, a little converted barn in Tarleton, just outside Southport. And um, we'd only been there in about four months and, <laughs> and then we were off again. <laughs> just, football. Yeah. just before we speak about your move to Barcelona I just want to ask you about Colin Harvey because he was a massive part of everything that we achieved wasn't it? Oh yeah um, Colin was lovely and you know real driving force um, with Howard and obviously managed to side himself later but he was um, a, a lovely man really liked Colin a lot of time for him yeah. Yeah. He could be a taskmaster though couldn't he if you of the lads have said? Well that's what they're supposed to be isn't it? They're not, it's, not a, it's not a jolly it's not a, you know football's tough um, it's you know team sport um, is demanding and, and a lot of demands are put on you and um, yeah Colin would do that but he was always fair um, you know very amiable as well you know, as, as long as you, you know, get everything I remember when you did leave the club it, would, it was galling for Evertonians because we were losing our top scorer but, but nobody, nobody blamed you that I can recall I don't recall really you getting any stick because it was Barcelona um, I- yeah, it was it really funny because I do I have had stick over the years for, for it for you know you left us and this and that I've I've had quite a lot of that on certainly since I joined social media mm. um, it's got better because I think I never really explained what happened too many times but it was it was hard leaving Everton um, and it was and it was nothing near there was no point did we go to the club and ask for this move it was the club that came to me. Um, and they'd accepted, they came to me and they said, we've, we've agreed terms with Barcelona for you, um, and now it's it's obviously down to you. So, But when a club says that, you know, you just think to yourself, well, am I, am I not really wanted then? And, and and that felt like how it was. Um, so they had to make a decision. And even then, when a club is obviously prepared to sell you, which I've, I was absolutely amazed by, to be honest, because I had such a good season, we were playing such great stuff, yeah, we missed out on the, on the two trophies, but we were such a good side. We'd have gone on to so much better things. And obviously, they won the league next season. We'd have, you know, we, we won it easier. And at that stage, of course, we weren't in the, couldn't play in Europe, which was a real blow. So Barcelona could do that. But I was, I was still difficult because I knew I was at a great club. I knew I was playing with, I think, the best team in Europe at that stage. Um, and... And I remember going home and going and discussing it with my then, you know, then wife actually just before we got married. Um, and we we were owning asked, so What do you think? I said, I don't know. I don't know. I said, Well, I'm happy here and stuff. But Barcelona's Barcelona, and if the club don't want me, then you know, what what do we do? And in the end, it took. I was after a few days, we couldn't make our mind up. and then we decided, right, what we'll do would both write on a piece of paper fold it up yes or no and we put them in the middle and in the end they, they both said yes so and and that's how it happened so it it, it was a tough tough to leave to leave that team um, and i know if i'd stayed at that team i would have won more trophies but if if a club comes to you and say they've accepted terms from another club then you know what do you expect i think i think i don't know i would say this but i think it A mistake from Everton. I think we'd. I know they went and won the league the next season, but I. I think it's once you send a signal that your top players are available at a certain price, then I think that started. That was the start of a little bit of a um, slip down the hill, if you think. Do you think? Do you think in some way, shape, or form there was a small element of well, we won the league without Gary Lineker. We didn't win it with Gary Lineker, even though you couldn't have done any more and we should have won the league. Was that possibly behind the reason to accept the bid? I don't know. Howard said we have got a little bit direct at that stage. I, 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 I don't see that. I didn't see that in our football. I didn't see any difference in Everton's football from when I was there and when they weren't. When I wasn't. Um, so, But you know, I, I had to respect it. It was... The reason Howard said to me, Howard came to me and he said, the reason I've accepted this bid is that I know that if it were me, I would do that. And he obviously did a year or so later. Um, So he said, I can't, he said, we've accepted the bid because I can't deny you this opportunity. Now that's what he told me. Obviously what he's then said to media about, we played a bit too direct i think was perhaps a bit more of an excuse i, d- I don't understand it because um Leberton were never a long ball side and so anyway but well you know i still love how i'm absolutely um proud of the fact that i played for 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 his team um he was just a super bloke met him loads of times after um and he did give me an opportunity that you know, it is—it's Barcelona. You know, if you're going to leave a team like that for leave, it, it'd have to have been like one of the greatest clubs in the world. The the the, the absence of European football at the time was just so galling, so fateful, wasn't it? For everybody connected with Everton, oh, it was such a shame. I, I never played in the European Cup, Stroke Champions League. Um, I could, would have played that season with Everton, but they were obviously banned because of Heysel. Um, I think we I fancied as strongly to have won the European Cup. You know. It was not, you know, Champions League. Obviously, these days is harder because there's more teams in it. But in those days, you, you would have a chance, and um, I think we'd have been strong favourites and very difficult to beat. Just want to speak about the uh, World Cup in Mexico uh, in '86, which turned on its head when you scored the three goals against Poland, and we had Peter Reed and Trevor Stephen came in. It must have been, it must have been nice to share that with and Gary Stevens as well, with three of your club colleagues. No, oh, absolutely. Uh, and they all played in that game. Um, and, and it was a turning point when they brought them in because, you know, Peter Reed came in. Um, uh, Trevor and Gary were playing down the right-hand side. In fact, three of us were involved in that uh, the first goal. I think, you know, I gave it to Trevor um, when Barry Davis had said I should have gone alone. He just, He's obviously never watched me play. He thinks I can dribble past someone. Um, but I knocked it out to... Um, Trevor he put Gary in and then it was like an Everton goal I just broke at the near post and got in front of the defender and we were one up and after that you know changed my life that game really because um, in many ways it was um, score a hat-trick and then gone to win a golden boot etc that become rather known just for a bit of English football but around the world so it's very different Again, I've spoken to Peter Reed many times about the Mexico World Cup. He, he absolutely loved every second of the whole experience. I, be, I bet he was worth his weight in gold off the pitch. Really, at times like that, always great, great character, wonderful player, gritty, determined. Um, uh, just one of one of football's good guys. You know, I love it's just great company, um, great to have around. You know, when you're, you're away for five or six weeks, uh, it's you know, it's it's you cocooned, you, there's nothing else going on, but you, your own entertainment amongst yourselves. And you need characters like, um, like Peter Reed around, because um, just to keep everyone's spirits up, he's one of those, and, you know, and he's, he's, he's a winner. He's a winner, and that's what you want. Having played for, for Howard Kendall, Gary, and having played so many times for England, Howard was linked at times with the England job. Do you think he'd have, do you think he'd have enjoyed being an England manager, or...? Was he more suited to the, to the day-in, day-out activities of club management? I think all managers really um, prefer the day-in, day-out management. But at the same time, the appeal, the allure of being um, the England coach, I suppose it's kind of seen as the, the big stage. Um, but I think all managers of England will tell you it's quite frustrating. Not getting your players very often, not being able to do. And also, of course, it's an unenviable task unless you actually win a tournament and then you're largely castigated. Um, although, obviously, in the last World Cup with, with Gareth, they went reasonably close and he was seen as a hero. But um, yeah, he, he, I think he'd have made great a great manager, that's for sure. Um, but it, it is a different job. It is, it's a very different job than, than club management. And he, he loved being with the players, Howard, didn't he? Absolutely loved it. Oh yeah, and he loved taking part in training. He loved the banter. He had plenty of that himself. Um, he was a wonderful guy to play for, and you know he brought out the best in you. You know he knew when to put an arm around your shoulder. He knew when to give you a bit of a kick up there. <laughs> um, great man manager, great tactician, uh, knew the game inside out, and um, and he, he was brilliant at getting a team together. Togetherness, you know, he used to have those occasional Chinese in, in Southport and get everyone there. Have a few drinks, but getting that camaraderie was an important part of his uh, his thinking. What do you make of the current gaffer, Gary Carlo Ancelotti? I know Carlo. I've met him um, a few times, interviewed him on occasions. Um, he's well, he's you know, he's one of the greats. He's one of you know, you put him in the top ten of any uh, managerial list. Um, he's won it all. He's won leagues in what like, four of Europe's biggest leagues. Um, I think it was a great coup for Everton to get. Carlo, uh, you can already see that he's making a difference. He's a very smart guy. Um, it's 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 a tough it's a tough job. Um, management is a tough job, um, but he's a lovely man as well, and he's. he's um, and I think the players will really enjoy playing for him. He played against you, in the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, that was he played. That was the third place playoff. He played in that. Yeah. Um, it's us olden, say eh? it's us olden. <laughs> you can understand the Evertonians getting a, the, the wow factor about Carlo Ancelotti. Can't oh, too right? I mean, look look at his record. You know, he's got he's got. His, you can compare his managerial record with anyone. Anyone. Um, it's um, absolutely sensational record that he's got, and he's, and he's proven himself in all parts of Europe. Um, and that's that's not easy. That's not easy. So um, let's hope he you know turns it around. Let's he, He'll need he'll need backing. All managers need backing, and um, hopefully he'll get it. Um, you know who knows what um, affects these times that we're going through at the moment will have on 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 the game and transfers and things. But um, if he gets the backing that he needs and you know gets in a few players, um, you know hopefully Everton can get themselves back in that top four. The ceasing of the Premier League came at a particularly Disappointing time for, for our current centre forward Dominic Calvert-Lewin because he was just in the groove, wasn't he? If you liked what you've seen about him, I do. I think he's in, I think I like the way he's improving. Um, you know, you could see he got a lot of game. Um, you know, he's combative. He's he's uh, holds it up well. He can get in the box. Um, he, he wasn't scoring as prolifically as you would like him to do at the start, but he was a young player. Um, with young players like that, you can, sometimes you see they either stay there and actually they're not going to be quite good enough, or they move on. And he's moving on. and He's moving on nicely. He's getting in good positions in the areas, he He's attacking space in the box. Um, he's very good in the air. Um, he works so hard for the team, which is also massively important, particularly these days. Um, and he's, he's got... a a lot of potential. Like the way he speaks after the game, he sounds bright. He sounds like he wants it. You've got to have that massive drive. Um, so I think it's really promising. And I think you know, having someone like Carlo Ancelotti with his experience behind him, hopefully he'll just you know blossom and, and, and become a, a possible England striker in the future. Um, if he, you know if he just keeps working at his game and keeps improving. What does he need to do to break into the England squad? He, he probably isn't that far away at the moment. Yeah, he needs to continue um, scoring at the rate he scored in the last few weeks. Um, if he does that, um, if you put the numbers on the board, um, you can't be ignored, and that's what you've got to do. You've got to score, and you've got to score more than anyone else, and that's that was always the key for me. If I, you know, whether it was my team or whether it was the league or whether it was whatever it was, whatever the competition, um, trying to score more than anyone else. And he must be able to learn a few tips off Duncan Ferguson along the way. I would think so certainly with heading um, that's for sure uh, but you know big dunk brilliant personality isn't he and um, that was actually quite, quite an exciting few weeks when he was in charge as well um, yeah some great, some great stuff in there real raw emotion love that. we've just finished Gary on on, on the team of 85-86 different ball game now the Premier League and the as the 21st century progresses could that Everton team play in this Premier League Of course, I think it's very difficult um, judging teams by in different eras because obviously things have evolved in the game that have improved the game in terms of you know fitness, nutrition, training, uh, facilities, um, all sorts of things. um, Knowing how players, I mean, when I played for example, when I was young, um, I was told, right. Don't do any upper body training. No upper body weights and all that. We don't want you too bulky so you can't turn. You'll lose you. Absolute cods you know, <laughs> Every player now, is built up and str- held him in much stronger. I was quite easily knocked off the ball. I had no upper body. I had big, lo- strong lower body and stuff. So there was so many things. But what would happen, obviously, if you brought the best players from 20, 30 years ago, like the Everton lot, and brought them into the modern game, with those changes that they've had, of course they'd still still be competitive because good players are good players yeah. um if, if you took a team now and played against the team in 85 86 as they both are obviously uh, the, the team of 25 years ago would get walloped because they wouldn't have had the fitness and the, the, because it changes but the best players now would have been the best players then and the best players then would be the best players now um, so it's it's a difficult one but yeah it's a great side. Of course, they'd be hugely competitive given the same um, facilities. The centre halves would have to adapt, wouldn't they? Because in your day, they could always get a couple of early ones on you just to let you know they were there. Absolutely. Um, so many, so many things have changed just after I retired that would have made life so much more um, comfortable. <laughs> you know, offside level used to be offside. Um, that changed. Um, the back pass rule. And before you play against Liverpool, they pass it back to the goalkeeper about 400 times. Um, and those, you know, it was those sort of things. Um, you can't, you could kick people for fun before they got a yellow card. us practice, GBA used to get a yellow card nowadays. <laughs> nowadays, you can't touch anyone. So that encourages you to go past defenders, etc. Um, so the, the offside laws changed. There are all sorts of different things that make it so much better, particularly for forwards. And I love the changes that made again. But do you know what? The one thing I really am envious about in the modern game is the playing surfaces. Every ground you see, they're beautiful. When we played, God, dear, you get, once you get to October, it's like mud and then rain and boggy and then it freezes and they're all bumpy. And then in spring, the grass starts to go, but it's all bobbly and dry. That's uh, yeah, the one thing. Every time I look at it, I think, God, how can you ever miscontrol the ball on that? And that's why we see more build-up play from the back. And the other thing that would be difficult, obviously, from the side i played in playing today, is that, you know, you start right at the back now. Your goalkeeper's got to be able to you know, be able to play a little bit. It never was decent with his feet, to be honest. And, you, you know, you've got to build out from the back. You've got to have football in centre-halves. But that, you know, the game's evolved. But, but yeah, the playing surface is very interesting. <laughs> the baseball ground. You mentioned October. The baseball ground. It's all about August, Oh, unbelievable! Yeah, the bog—it was always a bog. Some great images, though. It's amazing now when you look back at some old games and really see how bad some of the pitches were. And at least we had it—I suppose at least we had the odd excuse for a bubble, But we've got no excuses anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were watching the Bayern Munich game recently. That Bayern Munich game now would end up five aside, wouldn't it? Some of the challenges that went in that. Yeah. I know. So that, that, I, I couldn't remember it that way, fun enough. But when I saw the um, the documentary, I thought, crikey, they're steamed in. But they could hold their own. Those boys at Everton back then, they could really hold their own. But yeah, um, no, it's um, it's a more protected game now. But I think that's it's better. It's, a, it's it, although you know you do love a big crunching tackle, but at the same time, it's lovely to see football being allowed to be football. Gary, you clearly look back on your time at Everton, albeit brief, with uh, still, after all these years, a lot of affection. Oh, absolutely. And I, I, I've said this many times, um, that Everton were the best side I ever played for. Um, such a great bunch of lads and such great players. And, and it's, it's unquestionably true. I was at a Barcelona team that was kind of in transition. Um, but the Everton side um, were great. And, and, and I say this absolutely honestly. It, I just wish I could have had another two or three seasons before then going to Barcelona. But, you know, such is life, it throws up circumstances that sometimes um, make that difficult. But if I'd have had two, three or four years at Everton and then experienced Barcelona, that would have been ideal. But anyway. You should have scored so many goals. If you'd scored 20 goals, you might have ended up having two or three seasons with Everton. should have scored two more. <laughs> one against Oxford, and another one in the cup final. We'll put the two nil clear, and then we'd have been done. Dad, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure to be in your company. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Ah, uh, you're welcome. My pleasure.